Good morning. This is the Fire Commission regular meeting, February 14th, 2024, and the time is 9 o'clock. This meeting is being held in person. Members of the public may attend the meeting to observe and provide public comment at the physical meeting location or by calling 1-415-655-0001 and using meeting ID 2664-334-2654. The password is 1234. Members of the public may address the commission for up to three minutes per agenda item. Ensure you are in a quiet location, speak clearly, and turn off background sounds. Wait for the item you would like to address to be called. When prompted, press star 3 to be added to the queue. The system will notify you when you are in line. Callers will hear silence when waiting for your turn to speak. Operator will unmute you. You may also watch live at www.sfgovtv.org. Item 1, roll call. President Army Morgan. Present. Vice President Mar Marcy Frazier. Present. Commissioner Stephen Nakajo. Present. Commissioner Catherine Feinstein. Present. Commissioner Paula Collins. Present. And Chief of Department Janine Nicholson. Present. President Morgan will now read the land acknowledgement. Okay. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Um, the Roman Tisha Loney Land Acknowledgement. Uh, San Francisco Fire Commission acknowledges that we are an unceded ancestral uh, homeland of the Romantushaloni, who are the original inhabitants of San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with uh, their traditions, the Romantushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their ter uh, traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects and acknowledging the ancestral ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramitush Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. Thank you. That's it. Hello? Pardon me? Okay. <clears throat> Item two, general public comment. Members of the public may address the commission for up to three minutes on any matter within the commission's jurisdiction that does not appear on the agenda. Speakers shall address their remarks to the commission as a whole and not to individual commissioners or department personnel. Commissioners are not to enter into debate or discussion with a speaker. The lack of a response by the commissioners or department personnel does not necessarily constitute agreement with or support of statements made during public comment. Is there any public comment, uh, Madam Secretary? There is nobody approaching the podium, and there is somebody on the line. Caller, would you like to make public comment? Hello, caller? There is no public comment. Thank you, Madam Secretary. So we will close it out. 
Item three, approval of the minutes. Discussion and possible action to approve the meeting minutes from the regular meeting on January 24th, 2024. Mm. Uh, is there any uh, uh, public uh, uh, comment on this uh, there item? Is, there is nobody approaching the podium. Okay, all right, uh, commission. Caller, would you like to make public comment on item three, the minutes? There is no public comment. Okay, uh, to my fellow commissioners, uh, are there any uh, discussion or questions on the department uh, meeting on January 24, 2024? I, I would, is there a motion? Okay. Would like to adopt the minutes. Okay. President Morgan, how do you vote? I vote yes. Vice President Frazier, how do you vote? I vote aye. And Commissioner Nakajo, how do you vote? I vote aye. The motion is unanimous. Item four, Chief of Department's report. Report from Chief of Department Janine Nicholson on current issues, activities, and events within the department since the Fire Commission meeting on January 24th, 2024, including budget, academy, special events, communications, and outreach to other government agencies and the public. Report from Operations, Deputy Chief Darius Lethrop. On overall field operations, including Greater Alarm Fires, Bureau of Fire Prevention and Investigation, training within the Department and the Airport Division. And report from EMS and Community Paramedicine Deputy Chief Sandra Tong on the EMS and Community Paramedicine Divisions. Uh, Chief Nicholson, the floor is yours. Thank you very much. President Morgan, <laughs> Vice President Frazier, got to get got to get used to this. Commissioner Feinstein, Commissioner Collins, Commissioner Nakajo, Maureen, uh, command staff. My name is Janine Nicholson, and this is my report since our last commission meeting in January. We do indeed uh, have a new department physician who will be starting in March as Dr. Brokaw will be leaving. I notified you all a week or two ago about it, I believe. Uh, but Dr. Stephen Chang, we will get uh, an announcement out to the field today. Um, but um, he, uh, he will be starting in March and have some overlap with Dr. Brokaw. He uh, comes from DPH. Uh, he works out at uh, a clinic right now um, and uh, he will be uh, transitioning over, as I said, in March. So super excited about that. In the past couple of weeks, I have a, attended a community paramedicine town hall with um, uh, obviously uh, uh, Chief Pang and, um, and Chief Tong and others and heard uh, a really good um, sort of uh, <clears throat> summary of what they did last year in 2023. And I'm sure that, uh, well, Chief Tong may speak about that today. Um, if not, we can get you all that information, but really, really a lot of good work being done. I also went and spoke to an EMS of Advancement Academy. So when we have EMTs that want to bump up and become paramedics, uh, we offer that class uh, here to them. And they already have a paramedic uh, license, but this is so they can work as a paramedic for us. And um, so went to that. They are in their second week now, I believe. Uh, 
And lots of happenings this month. Happy day after your birthday, President Morgan. You don't look a day older. Um, and uh, it is also Black History Month. And uh, the Lunar New Year, the Year of the Dragon, uh, has commenced. And I've already been to a couple of different events on the weekend. And uh, we have another event next weekend that you are all invited to on the 24th. Uh, the uh, Lunar New Year Parade, which is always a good time. <clears throat> we did see the Waymo incident in uh, Chinatown uh, on the first day of the Lunar New Year last weekend. And uh, from my reports from PD, it was uh, they have the young people that did it. They were from out of town. And uh, <clears throat> so... It's really unfortunate that uh, that happened, um, but uh, yeah, they've got the guys, so that's the good news. Um, I met with um, Chief Buford and I met with the uh, chief of LA County Fire. Uh, he came up um, on business and uh, came in to see us uh, for a couple of hours, and he is um, really curious about our our DEI program and our racial equity action plan and, and all of that. So we spoke with him about that. Yesterday, uh, Chief Buford and I went to a meeting held by um, uh, Director and uh, Dr. Cheryl Davis from uh, the Human Rights Commission. And it was uh, racial equity leaders and uh, DEI leaders from departments and um, sort of what work we're doing, how do we get ourselves um, wrapped around uh, the racial equity action plans because they are enormous and uh, there's no way uh, that we can do it all at once. So what are the three things that we're um, uh, you know, gonna do in the next year was really uh, some of the topic and um, what, what kind of guidance did, uh, did we need from her office and the Office of Racial Equity? So more to follow on that. <clears throat> Panel interviews have been conducted for the next H2 Academy, which will start in June. And we are now uh, selecting um, those people who will come and meet with myself and other members of the command staff uh, for um, an interview. Today, the Tony Bennett cable car commemoration is happening at 10.45, don't know if I'll make it, but it's up on Cali California and Mason, AKA Tony Bennett Way, um, by the Fairmont. And then uh, today there's also a celebration with the mayor of uh, the 20 year anniversary of gay marriage that happened right in City Hall here. Uh, it was a big deal. And then capital projects and infrastructure. I've been having a lot of conversations of late with all sorts of different people from the mayor's office, from public works, from uh, Rec and Park, from all over the city um, about our uh, capital projects and our need and the challenges that we have uh, meeting that need. And so there will be a work group that is going to be formed uh, very soon uh, with um, quite a few of the uh, key stakeholders to see what we can do um, for better efficiency um, and uh, cost savings so that we can do more of the projects that we need to do. 
right now it's, it's really challenging. Um, so, but good conversations are happening. Nothing's gonna change overnight, but I do have some, uh, some hope that, that we can move things along. And some of these things are legislative, uh, that you know, past board of supervisors have required that the Department of Public Works do on every single project. And it really, it increases the price on everything. So that's one of the things we're also gonna be, gonna be looking at. So more to follow on that, and I will have a conversation with uh, Commissioner Collins, who is uh, taking the lead on this with me uh, for the, for the uh, commission anyway. Um, so we will speak further on that. And then uh, last, but certainly not least, um, former chief Ed Phipps died last week. Uh, he was the chief in 1987-88. He was sworn in by uh, then Mayor Feinstein, and um, his wife died about three months ago, and then and then he just died. So we will be attending his. Uh, we will have a presence at his funeral, which is next Friday, um, and uh, can get you all that information. Um, but if we could end the meeting in his honor, I would appreciate that, President Morgan. Yes, that, that would be great. Yeah. And that concludes my report. All right. Thank you for your report, Chief Nicholson. Um, my fellow commissioners, are there any questions or, for the chief? I don't actually have to run off this time. <laughs> no, no question. Oh, uh, Commissioner uh, Acasio. Thank you very much, uh, Chief. Thank you very much, President Morgan. Um, just as a point of information, I really appreciate uh, you talking about uh, the Waymo incident in Chinatown. Um, and I'm glad that those individuals were identified and I'm uh, pleased that they were arrested. Um, I, not only was it to me a violent act, but also in the heart of Chinatown during Lunar New Year. Yeah. And I wondered how a truck could get in there and how could our members deal with it. Again, I'm looking at the news in terms of it, but I definitely saw our members out there. And I could imagine, um, Chief Lanthrop, how difficult it might have been to move those equipment in there. I'm not, I'm just saying, but thank you for mentioning that. I also find it ironic that um, there's uh, news in terms of uh, driverless vehicles. I noticed on last Sunday's San Francisco Chronicle, page 16 was a whole two sections devoted to accidents um, mm -hmm. in terms of crews. So again, I just wanted to acknowledge the department and uh, our leadership in terms of that, because what we're talking about is public safety. I'm not against technology, but you know, again, it needs to be proven, and I appreciate the commission in terms of uh, paying attention to that. The second comment, and just for clarification's sake, and I wanted to thank you for announcing um, the offer to talk to Chan. I uh, appreciate the Vice President um, Frazier in terms of being part of that process. Uh, just in terms of uh, clarity for myself as a commissioner, uh, Chief Nicholson, do we, once an opportun opportunity occurs, uh, meet Dr. Chan, but also um, do we as a commission ratify the hiring? I got your agreement um, about a week and a half ago, so I don't think anything needs to be done in, a, in the public setting. 
Uh, I could be wrong. Um, and uh, if I am, I'll come back next time and we can do it then. But I don't think that there is, um, uh, I got your agreement uh, a week and a half or so ago. Okay. So. I, and I wanted that clarification because again, uh, I appreciate Commissioner Vice President Fraser being part of that. I know there's pressures in terms of offering hiring in terms of talented individuals. And as long as again, our representatives uh, with the commission uh, moved to approve this, uh, I don't have a problem. So thank you very much for that clarity. Thank you, Mr. President. And uh, I'd like to say thank you for your report, Chief Nicholson. And, and I'd like to uh, say congratulations on, uh, on your, uh, um, your new uh, candidate, shall I say, or can I say, uh, like mm -hmm. it's a done deal, right? We all approved. I'm the new medical director for the fire department and looks like a good candidate, has the right background, and you're happy, so we're happy. And uh, thank you, uh, Commissioner uh, Frazier, for helping with the uh, interviews and everything you did. Really appreciate that. And, uh, and if there's a motion uh, to, uh, if we have to do it formally, do we have to do that formally to approve the hire of the... Uh, the new medical director or just we'll check know. into that okay all right thank you all right so you can do it if you like but <laughs> right now but i don't know that yeah. it's yeah we if we want to do it officially that's fine we'll put it on the next one I don't know. yeah mr president if there's a need for that then it needs to be agendized okay. yes you know uh, other than that i will see what necessarily You're has right. to happen right. my or, bad or in yeah. terms of it it may not need necessarily as long as the commission yeah. I understand that right. approves the, the hiring process. And um, if I may, at this point, Mr. President, could I, Chief Nicholson, get Vice President Frazier's inclusion and comments in terms of this process? Yes, she was a Again, she was a huge part of the process for right, us. You were the commissioner that was our liaison between us and CD3 and the hiring, please. By all means. Yes. <clears throat> I was li the liaison between the commission. I can't hear you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I was on the interview panel uh, for the uh, physician applicants for the position, and um, <clears throat> we interviewed several. And I think we chose, of the group, we chose the best one of the group that was had applied and passed the first round of, I'm not sure how the scrutiny goes, but we did. And I think our, our candidate is, uh, is going to be great and look forward to getting to know him a little bit better. But it was it's interesting for me, I've interviewed a lot of healthcare professionals over the course of my career, and I thought he, he was, he'll be outstanding uh, as time goes on. Like everyone, have to learn the job, but he comes with the right preparation. I'll say that. <clears throat> and I, may I go one other comment on the Chief's report? Thank you. Uh, thank you for the bringing up the Waymo item, I did hear this week that Los Angeles County Council, City Council, whatever it is, uh, also voted to deny permits to cruise vehicles in LA County. And they cited the reason was the experience in San Francisco as the reason for their not allowing them to go full bore in LA. And I thought that was interesting. So. Um, Good job on that. I saw the, the burnt up, crispy little Waymo on the street in Chinatown in the newspaper. 
and I guess it's a good thing there wasn't a lot of gasoline in it. <laughs> I, I don't know what the particulars were, but um, uh, this is a story that's going to continue to unfold around the country, and I think we are the first chapter of it, so we'll see. But thank you for your report, the rest of it as well, Chief. Thank you. Uh, if I may just sure, Chief Nicholson. comment on autonomous vehicles and L.A. I spoke with the L.A. City Fire Chief yesterday uh, with a couple of other uh, chiefs from around the country, and uh, we talked about autonomous vehicles, and uh, the L.A. City uh, Fire Chief, Kristen Crowley, um, you know, Waymo vehicles are up and running in, in their city, uh, driverless. And so they're, um, they were given really no warning, no notice, no anything. And uh, so we are going to um, work together with them. And uh, we're already working with our, our city partners uh, on the legislative level at the state because there's nothing um, we can do right now um, because the DMV and, and the CPUC have the say uh, over regulating them. Uh, so um, there is a work group that Chief Lettrup has been involved in with that. And um, we have some of our local, um, uh, our, our state elected officials that are um, from this area that are working on it with us. And so um, it really needs to happen. There need to be some, some uh, standards put in place um, but we're seeing a lot more Waymo vehicles around our city, and they are also in L.A. City. Uh, so, you know, they're going to have uh, the same challenges. And they've also instituted something for their members to, to send up the chain when they have an issue with uh, a Waymo vehicle at an incident or en route to an incident. So we, are, we need to come together as a fire service to really, uh, really push back against this. I mean, they're here to stay, but... Uh, we need to, uh, and we are, uh, pushing back. One, one follow-up on that, please. Um, it seems to me that we're doing this, we're battling it company by company, which seems like an enormous waste of energy and time. Why, I'm glad to hear it's going to move up to some kind of legislation, because if we go company by company, that's just going to take forever and not really get the job done that we want done, whatever the consensus may be. Yeah, agreed. It needs to be on a on a on a uh, state level. Go ahead, Chief Lettrup. Would you like to make a comment? Hi. Good morning, President Morgan, Vice President Fraser, Commissioners Feinstein, Collins, Nakajo. Yeah, there there are currently 41 permits in the state of California, with anticipation that there would be more. We're just uh, the the two main companies that are driving the industry right now are active in San Francisco. So we were just with the chiefs with the chief's leadership at the kind of the tip of the spear as a, as a city response and a national fire service response to it. But uh, we can talk more about it if you like. I've, we've been in conversation at the national level. We have uh, fire representation on some of the bodies that are going to propose legislation and oversight at the national level. San Francisco doesn't currently have a seat at the table, but we, we stay in contact. Uh, uh, Commissioner Collins had a comment. You want? I just wanted to, to add to what's been said. I think it's very valuable to pose the issue of autonomous vehicles as a public safety issue because nationally there are entities 
who pride themselves in looking after public safety, especially in vehicles. And those are potential allies. Those are potential conduits of information. It's not on everybody's top agenda because every city doesn't you know, have the experience that we do, but it will be. And if we can plug into those non-partial, independent entities, not government entities, which you're already doing, you know, beautifully, um, with the issue of public safety of autonomous vehicles, that it must be regulated, et cetera, et cetera, not anti-technology. And I know you've been very careful uh, to make that distinction. I think it's a big plus, and I think it's a big opportunity. So. Um, Making the data that you have available would be one step. Offering to share that data would be very valuable. Yeah, and Commissioner, we do regularly do that. We've been in conversation not just with National Highway Transit Safety, but with uh, some of the the industry, um, you know, policy setters. Um, Honestly, it was it was a bit of a revelation because the chief and I were kind of tasked with coming up with what a, a public safety response to these vehicles would kind of be ad hoc, um, and we came to the same conclusions that these other policy makers had been, but we had never been in conversation. So now we are in conversation. Yeah. That's great. Go ahead, uh, Commissioner. Oh, Commissioner Feinstein. question too, but I just wanted to follow up. I know it was mentioned a couple meetings ago when we started talking about, you know, the issues that were occurring. Cruise was still operational in San Francisco, and I believe there was an order of some kind or a request or the manner in which um, the department communicates with its members that required every member that had um, an encounter that, uh, I don't know, I can't remember if it was a dangerous encounter or a collision or um, uh, something, you know, a, 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 what can I say, um, an untoward event or suspicious event. Unusual occurrence. I, I knew the abbreviation actually, Chief, but I was trying to yes. figure out if it fit into that category or not. Is that still being required? Uh, absolutely. We've seen a reduced incidence with the uh, cruises revocation of their permit and licensure, um, but it is still, we had seen such an uptick in the number of incidents, and it wasn't just accidents, it was um, obstruction, it was, you know, interfering with us in our operations, um, that we, we took it out of the regular unusual occurrence form and made it a, a distinct AV reporting form, uh, which carried more information specific to autonomous vehicles, the amount of time it took the company to respond to remove the vehicle, communications that were made with the company, et cetera, et cetera. Do you have any estimate as to, <clears throat> excuse me, how many um, of those reports you've received? Uh, to date, 92. Wow, okay, thank you. Yeah. Across the two that operate extensively in San Francisco, we haven't had we had a, a one Zooks uh, incident that wasn't specifically 
Um, you'll see a picture later of their new model that will be rolling out in the city of San Francisco, but it was basically just an accident and just it just included the communications that had to be made to the company. It wasn't really specific to Zooks. And that will continue, the reports and... That will absolutely continue. Filing all the information, et cetera. Correct. And we're now in partnership with, um, with MTA and, and, and County Transit. So they collect another subset of incidents. They, they aggregate them through, you know, reports from PW and from DPT and PD reports. So they're, they're kind of the aggregator. The only ones we collect are our specific fire incidents. That's really going to be helpful, though that process it it has been a revelation to everybody else who's encountering AV vehicles and I'm they're all adopting the process as they move forward to thank you thank you both chief thank you uh, Commissioner Feinstein and uh, uh, Commissioner Nicasio had a question yeah I just uh, comment and I know that you're going to be up here very soon with your report um, in terms of this, I think that in terms of the fire commission, I'm just talking for myself, but this whole issue um, is a first-time experience and revelation, if you will, uh, being part of the fire department with the fire department in terms of the obstruction of the cruise vehicles. Um, it started all the way with looking at this all the way to, I remember Commissioner Collins, you talking about let's go to the top. And we're talking about policy issues as well. Um, the bottom line was they weren't communicating with us, and now everybody's communicating with us. And I think about the enormous additional workload for you, Chief, in the department. There's many jurisdictions, MTA, our clients that are dealing with this. But for me particularly, and, and I get told all the time that technology is coming. Like it or not, man, get used to it. And part of this is that... Um, I think about the drivers who aren't driving. I think about the public safety issue, um, but we've been focusing on Cruz and Waymo isn't the same as Cruz. And oftentimes when I see Waymo, I'm just speaking, it's in a situation that it doesn't create the kind of problems that we saw with Cruz. And so I'm always wondering about the technology, you know, up to Saturday at Chinatown, where those vandals hit that, burned it. I mean, it was outrageous as far as I'm concerned. But the headlines now is everything that's wrong with Waymo or Cruise and driverless, yet I know it's coming. Just as a point of information, commissioners, I got approached by a good friend of mine that was president of the Japanese Chamber of Commerce, and he's been asked by companies from Japan, governmental, to look and research this. Uh, and I couldn't believe that they were looking at this because if you've been to Tokyo, Japan, it's nothing but cabs. It's like New York. And what he told me is that the economy of Japan, there is not enough people that are even applying to drive or drive trucks because of the low wages, the long hours. And so they're having a great problem with that. And so when I hear that, it just triggers, you know, I got to put my mindset aside. But they're telling me they're looking at it in the countries where these seniors and folks are isolated and they're looking at driverless vehicles being the transportation answer to that. So all I'm just saying is that I know we've got a long way to go. It's an introductory subject matter. Uh, I just think about the workload, Chief, that both of you have now on this as we get to it. I'm still very proud, always will be, that we're the first in terms of public safety 
and they're looking at that. But I just wanted to additionally give you that comment, Thank commissioners. You. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Commissioner Nakaja. And uh, Madam Secretary, I just want to go back to uh, item four after uh, Chief uh, Nicholson's uh, report and to ask, was there any public comment on, on her report? Uh, there is nobody with their hand raised on the public comment line. If you need to make public comment, press star three, and there's nobody approaching the podium. Okay. All right. Thank you, Madam Secretary. Uh, Chief uh, Lethrop, you're on. Have your report. All right. Thank you. I know we have a very packed meeting today. I won't dilly-dally. Uh, this is uh, the fire operations report for the month of January. Uh, for the, for the first slide, the initial overall, again, we don't see anything untoward or out of the ordinary. Our, our, our work rate for boxes, working fires, cliff rescues, surf rescues was in alignment with uh, a normal month. We had one greater alarm fire in the, the month of January. It was a second alarm fire on the 5th at 109 Lowell Street, across of Morrison, Brunswick. Uh, the chief, Division Three chief, uh, the IC of this incident was Chief Patrick Rabbit. Box 6216 was struck at 1618 uh, with 40, engine 43 arriving, as you can see, to a large body of fire um, at the front of the building impinging on what we'll call the Bravo exposure, so already into the siding of uh, the second structure. So two structures involved. The officer recommended a second alarm, Battalion 9, uh, was coming on scene and held um, as 43 began to put out the fire and 33 got a, a supply for them. When Battalion 9 did arrive, Chief Wynn, he did request a second alarm. Um, because he had to address fire in two structures. Um, at that point, 15 truck uh, did aerial the, the Bravo exposure, and they began to fight fire. Uh, when Division Three arrived, there was a transfer of command, and Battalion 10 arrived uh, pretty soon after, and uh, Battalion 9 was assigned to the fire attack in Bravo, and Battalion 10 was given the uh, fire building 109 Lowell. Uh, they suppressed all the exterior fire and transitioned to the living space upstairs. So they took a 150-foot hand line and they went to address um, search and rescue and fire suppression on the second floor. When Rescue 2 arrived, they were given the, the task of searching the building, as they always are, and they found that the main body of fire was in the garage still. So they uh, deployed a hose line to address that fire. Uh, well, companies did work upstairs, truck companies and engine companies, to uh, extinguish any fire that they, they found on the second floor. Uh, this, this fire did present with a, a number of the challenges we've talked about in the past. Um, it's obviously a very small building uh, it, with, with a good lot line on multiple sides of it, except for the Bravo, where they were worried about extension of the Bravo, and they had to deploy basically an arms for the companies to ensure there was no extension of the Bravo. But at the fire building 109 Lowell, they encountered boarded building, um, extensive hoarding conditions. You can see from the smoke in the initial pictures, this is a, this is a fire that is uh, oxygen deprived, but with high heat and a decent advancement into the building. So they were very careful about coordinated fire attack, uh, didn't open excessively uh, and allow fire to extend without hose lines in place. So a uh, good job. 
there were some challenges beyond the fires, uh, the structure and the things that were presented to us that the chief does address in his report and I'll allow you to take a, a close read of it, but I thank the chief for addressing it and he addressed it with companies in the field and all division three chiefs have addressed it um, in, in further meetings. Uh, command and control, the need for the chiefs to uh, be in firm control of where operational lines are placed and uh, not putting people in harm's way, we're all addressed. Um, so I'm, I'm confident that moving forward, the chief's recommendations will um, be enacted by companies in the field. There were no displacements by this fire, no injuries in this fire. I like to always bring you guys some fun stuff. And so for uh, Valentine's Day, I, we're, gonna, we're gonna talk about helicopter rescue technicians because we got great pictures of like seaside vistas and all the fun things that, that come with it. Uh, I did talk a few meetings ago about mutual aid and our responsibility inside of the Greer Fire Service and public safety world um, and how the San Francisco Fire Department tries to be heavily involved in this. This is one of these programs. So this is a, a joint project between, it's driven by the California Highway Patrol, but they found a very receptive agency in the San Francisco Fire Department, and we've got 13 members trained as what's called a helicopter rescue technician. So these are members, uh, all paramedics at this point, so they bring advanced life support um, skills, and now they have the additional technical rescue ability to dangle from a helicopter and be flown about willy-nilly. I see every, you're in, you're in, Commissioners, commissioners. Okay, so we'll try and we'll try and figure out a way to get you dangling from the bottom of a helicopter. Um, we've we've had, uh, I believe it's 120 total members trained in ground operations, also, which has been significant for us because we have we have the four hoist operations where it was people hanging from the bottom, going down, retrieving a person, coming back, and then and providing them medical transport which are the, the high profile, but the 120 members are also there to assist if the helicopter needs to land on a beach, take somebody out of harm's way that would save us a long drive or a arduous hike, the, the helicopter's been a great asset. Obviously, there are times when a helicopter's not gonna be deployable due to weather or other conditions, um, and so we maintain all of our other skills in the surf rescue and the cliff rescue world, but it's a, it's a great asset and a great tool and great pictures. Um, in the mutual aid world, this has included a response into San Mateo County. Uh, other agencies in Northern California have opted into this program, um, but we are we're the big player in it right now, and I hope that it continues, and I hope that we have great success with this partnership with the Highway Patrol. And, oh well, my words are covering it, but that's, that's quite the picture right there. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. All right, so in fire prevention and investigation, I will highlight uh, the chart on page nine, uh, we we had, you know, I briefed this out in the past that we saw an uptick in notices of violation, we saw an uh, uptick in complaints uh, that were all based around codes and, and legislation that had been held in abeyance and then was now was being acted upon, uh, particularly in sprinkler inspections and other building system inspections. Um, and you can see that we, we kind of hit a, a peak in January, and now the fire marshal's office is steadily um, resolving all of these issues. So I do not see any uh, untoward hazards in the future for us there. The fire marshal was very busy in the month of January, and I would like to highlight his work if I can. Um, he, he, 
he had many, many stakeholder meetings. He was heavily involved in a legislative process in the city and at the state level um, with a, a couple of pieces of legislation that came um, out earlier, but it was his job to turn it into actionable policy on the ground. Uh, one of the key pieces being an easement change that was required for uh, dwelling units in lot splits to go behind existing buildings, particularly on the west side of town where we have no access to the rear of the building. And he was able to get uh, agreement through the Board of Supervisors to give us a five-foot access versus the state's limited mandate. Obviously, when the, the fire code is written uh, at the state level, it, it doesn't really anticipate the built environment of the city of San Francisco and the requirements of fighting fire in the city of San Francisco. Um, so he worked, it was a very heavy lift, but he managed to shepherd that through the process and that will be adopted at the Board of Supervisors. He also had a very successful lithium-ion battery legislation push with the uh, micro-mobility devices um, and extensive meetings with everyone who had concerns about their e-bike businesses or e-bike repair shops and he was able to craft a code that would be agreeable to all and in the end, even people that uh, initially were very resistant, thanked him for his work, and I, I just want to highlight that effort. Going forward, um, our relationship with uh, MTA and with the streetscape changes and our ability to respond in the city and our ability to uh, fight fire on er er for every resident of the city equally um, is, is ongoing. We have meetings today and moving forward um, to kind of stream that with the, uh, with the assistant of the mayor's office. So that's one of his heavy lifts that's ongoing, and I, I, I hope to report great success on that in the near future. And he's been working uh, diligently on succession planning in his shop and mentorship, which is one of the, the chief's initiatives in particular, and I want to thank him for his work in that. At the airport, Chief Darcy is here, um, has been busy as usual, um, running his own fire department essentially down at the, at the airport. Um, but has had great success. His, his Marine unit is back in operation and he's training new members to that. He had very little transition in the staff, so he has good continuity and he's training new uh, airport firefighter response vehicle operators. So he has the ability to staff uh, much more freely at the airport than he has in the past. He's also been heavily involved um, in advocacy for um, health and safety of uh, modern firefighting foam that doesn't contain PFAS and they have an adopted product and he will be one of the drivers in the industry, I imagine, when, when that comes forward. Um, they also have been working extensively with helicopter operations, in their case with the Coast Guard, and it's good to see um, that continue. Uh, and then one of my primary uh, goals uh, on taking on the operations chief role was uh, reintegration of the city with the airport's operations. Uh, it had been quite a while since we'd had any functional drills where um, multiple units from the city had responded to the airport and he's taken that up with his training staff and with the city's training staff and with the collaboration of uh, the assistant chiefs. Um, and it's, it's working well and I look forward to that continuing long into the future. Uh, at the division of training, also very, very, very busy. They had an H3 level two academy with five recruits who are doing well. They've all passed their tests to point. Um, the 133rd recruit class started with 57. We've unfortunately lost two to date for injury, um, but 
more to follow. We're working very hard with them. Uh, In-service training has uh, resumed in-person training of fuel companies with a, uh, a master stream uh, evolution, and I imagine that's going very well. The companies generally enjoy going to Treasure Island for the in-service training, learning new skills. Um, and then over three weekends in the month, we had um, our BART Transbay tubes drills. I don't know if you've ever gotten up at 2 o'clock in the morning on Sunday to go to our Transbay tube drills, but they're very eye-opening where we do a functional exercise, um, leaned heavily into the command post and the command aspects of it, very well received by all the chief officers and companies who were involved in that. And then uh, we're working towards adoption of a new policy and a new manual for that type of response. And I did want to highlight the work of NERT a little bit more. This go around, I had um, on the weekends, I, I pretend that I, I'm still a firefighter in the, in the field, and I, I go out and I try to observe drills and do fun things like that. Uh, and I just happened upon a NERT Saturday at 19th and Folsom in the month of January where they had all classrooms filled with people doing different um, ham operator classes, uh, mapping classes. They, they had a very full house, very well attended. Um, and I just, I, I can't thank uh, Lieutenant Tom and the, the whole NERT staff for the work they're putting into NERT. And thank you. Thank you for your uh, report, uh, Chief Lethrop. And at this time, uh, uh, we'll ask uh, Madam Secretary, is there any uh, public comment? There is nobody on the public comment line and nobody approaching the podium. Okay. Uh, fellow commissioners, uh, are there any questions for Sh Chief Lethrop? Uh, Commissioner Feinstein? I have a very quick one. Is there a waiting list? For the helicopter training? Yes. <laughs> She's number one. But after that. I believe that, actually. Oh. <laughs> um, take some guts, got to say. Um, so thank you. Thank you for your report. And, um, yeah, the, the report on, I've just got to say, it, it, everything that's going on, you know, from from the airport to to BPI to training. I mean, there's just really a lot that I don't know. There seems to be a new buzz or something. Um, yeah, which is all good. Is all good. And um, if anything, things are just getting better and more safe for our citizens, and that's what we're about. So that's the goal. Yeah. Congratulations to all. Commissioner Frazier. Thank you. Thank you. What a great report. Thank you, Chief Lettrup. It was really, really interesting. I had read a lot of this, but you filled in some of it for me, and I'm on the waiting list after Commissioner Feinstein. <clears throat> I particularly want the Golden Gate Bridge bypass for my birthday. <clears throat> um, just saying. The, um, the fire marshal report, really, really interesting, and I appreciated that. Airport nuggets, I'm giving a shout out to that report also. It made me laugh, and it was very interesting. Um, lithium batteries has been on our agenda for a while, so I appreciate knowing what's going on and appreciate that there is some progress between 
you know, people that are in that business and people that are concerned about that business and how we work together. So uh, that was also really good. And I was also wanted to thank you for uplifting NERT in this report. Um, I was unaware of, of some of it, of course, but I, I've been to a few of their things over the years, and I think it's a wonderful organization. So I'm glad you're lifting them up in the, um, in the report. And then there's a photograph in here on page 32 of some little vehicle. Ah, I forgot to highlight the vehicle. That I wanted to ask you about. So please yeah. tell us. Okay, and thank you for reminding me. I left something off of NERT too. So this is this is the Zooks vehicle. So the third provider that is in beta testing and operating under a license, so not a commercial license currently in, in the city. Um, they've, they've tried to be ahead of the game and they've been looking to partner with us all the way along the line and they were able to provide um, training on this vehicle. As you can see, this vehicle doesn't look like a car. It's like a fishbowl that kind of will convey people around the city. Um, crews right at the transition of them losing their, their licensure and DMV revoking their permit was also gonna go to a, a similar vehicle. So just as we had been making great strides in the ability to take over the vehicle and um, use the driver controls in the vehicle to you know, not have to wait for anybody else to respond and we could remedy the situation on scene, which isn't great because it still involves our staff and it takes people away from other tasks, they're transitioning to a vehicle that has no driver controls. So we're, we're into a new, a new era and a new challenge. Um, but it was, I think it was well received and Zooks as a company was very appreciative that we brought them out. But yeah, I'm sorry, I said I was gonna show you, there it is, that, that pretty little blue egg yeah. shell thing, yeah, that's the Zooks. Good. Um, and there was one nerd thing also that I, I failed to mention. Uh, the chief and all of the command staff did have a meeting with the Singaporean consul in January. Um, and one of the things that they expressed interest in was attending NERT training and they did on the Saturday that week, the chief was in attendance also. Um, and so NERT is going to be working with the consul's office to try and come up with some targeted training specific to the Singaporean community in, in the area, but that's another thing that could um, move forward, it kind of doing additional outside training um, that, that builds an art program overall, that gains interest, and then other people come and take the full program after the abbreviated program. Thank you, Chief. Um, I do see a lot of Zooks around my neighborhood because it seems like their warehouse is over ne near Potrero Hill <clears throat> where I live. Um, yeah, so we'll see what happens with all of those. There is a, I noticed the other day I was coming home from someplace and there was an autonomous vehicle parked at a stop sign we were all approaching and it was the autonomous vehicle's turn pulls into the intersection and a big huge motorcycle pulled up in front and stopped in front of it and honked his horn. All, so it's, I thought, oh, there are other people or there are people who have a certain amount of hostility besides the people that, let the, that lit the one on fire in Chinatown. I'd never seen that before, but I think that's gonna be something else we have to think about and anticipate are the regular citizens who have feel a lot of hostility towards the vehicles are gonna try to disrupt them as well. I'm not defending anybody, I'm just saying, wow, I had never seen that before. Thank you again. 
I was going to ask you what we wear when we get dangled from a helicopter, but I won't ask you that because it's in the report. Ha happily, there's a long waiting list. <laughs> it has communication, so you can they'll hear you screaming the whole time. Oh, thanks oh. for that. I wanted to just inject a little bit of history. When the American Automobile Association was founded more than 100 years ago at the Cliff House, San Francisco, it was because people were really worried about horseless carriages and what they were going to mean. And oh my goodness, there are these modes of transportation now that don't even have horses, where the driver is, you know, hooked up to some machinery. And there was the thought that education's needed, regulations needed, collective wisdom, wisdom is needed. And I think this is just the slot we find ourselves in right now with autonomous vehicles. And so I just add that, add that bit of history. So. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Collins. And, uh, Commissioner Nicasio. Thank you very much, uh, President Morgan. Uh, Chief, a couple of multi-subject matters. Just in terms of talking and talking about helicopters and helicopter training and when that opportunity occurs, um, I definitely want to be there and take pictures of my fellow commissioners dangling from the rope. <laughs> I think that'd be a great, great photograph. Um, but I always wondered why, and I know this subject matter came up through the years, uh, why San Francisco Fire Department slash Police Department Airport doesn't have a helicopter designated for our use. Uh, I know that maybe this is a terrible time to talk about something like that if it's related to budget, but I just wanted to kind of put that out there because I've always thought that in the sense of other jurisdictions, police, Los Angeles, whatever, have helicopters and the usage of that. Um, it reminds me of when we first talked about using uh, drones in terms of our department as well. But I just want to put that subject matter out there. Um, no response. Um, other than that, I know that we get notified on certain trainings that you do operationally. So I would appreciate it if we kind of got a heads up on your next surf training, because I know there's a lot of, if not daily, cliff rescues, dog, little boy, over the weekend trying to climb down and couldn't get back up. But when you have a surf rescue training, please let me know that or let us know that. I attended one years ago and just was kind of amazed at the Cliff House, how our members kind of take this rope and jump over. Uh, so, and then the other thing is that, uh, that Trans Bay 2 exercise, whenever you do that, I know it's two or three o'clock in the morning, but um, that's something that I've never seen before, but I just think it's important for us to at least know about it so that we can take advantage of that. And at some point, whether it's internal or whatever, I wouldn't mind finding out some data in terms of uh, if the investigation for the Octavia Fell fire has ever concluded in terms of that origin of that fire. Um, I know it was being worked on, and then for myself, I'm just curious as to the issues of frequency of tent fires. Uh, again, I concern myself with that. So I just wanted to bring up those items at some point. Internally, it could be provided as well. Thank you, Mr. President. 
thank you, uh, Commissioner Nicaggio. Is there any other questions from the commission? Yes, I just want to thank you for your report, uh, Chief Luthrop. Um, and you guys answered my question. I was looking at that little bubble with wheels on it, and I was trying to <laughs> figure out what it was. And I said, was, a, was that an alien landing or what? <laughs> and you guys got them surrounded, though. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, these autonomous vehicles or something else, yeah, I, I, uh, I agree with the sentiment of the rest of the commission. I mean, it's only going to be so long we can fight them off and, and you know, until uh, they perfect their craft. And, but, but we, we want to make sure they do it safely and not at the expense of uh, the public you know, public safety and definitely not uh, first responders uh, getting in the way of, the, of their duties. So with that said, um, I appreciate all the comments that were made about that topic. And um, uh, other than that, um, I just want to commend the, uh, uh, the uh, firefighters that helped put out that fire at 109 Lowell Street. You guys did a good job. And... Uh, Continue the great work. Um, that was a, uh, thank God we only had one greater alarm that whole month, right? So. Got us something to talk about. Huh? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so that was good news. Yeah. That's because our firefighters are doing great work out there. Yes. A lot of these fires right. could easily have gone to greater alarms. Right, and there was, yeah. Thanks for making that point. Yeah, it was a lot of fires and, yeah. And uh, so, uh, so that's basically all I got. And uh, thank you for your great report, Chief Lethrop. Thank you, sir. Uh, next, uh, I guess, uh, next we're going to have uh, EMS Community Paramedicine Deputy Chief uh, Sandra Tong's report. Good morning, President uh, Morgan. Good morning, President Morgan, Vice President Frazier, Commissioners Nakajo, Feinstein, Collins, Chief, Command Staff, and Maureen, uh, Sandy Tong, Deputy Chief of EMS and Community Paramedicine. This is my report for January. From the EMS Division, Assistant Deputy Chief Niels Tangrelini um, for EMS. Our January metrics um, pretty much mirror what we did in December. Um, our call volume average was about the same. The market share was about the same. Uh, we continue to still have the BLS pilot ambulances in the system. Those are four additional 24-hour uh, 24 ambulance, 24 ambulances that are in the system. So they do take some of the call volume um, from us. Uh, so we're still evaluating whether or not that is a program that's going to continue from the uh, local LEMSA. Um, but we'll, we'll see, you know, how long that um, is allowed to continue and, um, and what that impact is on the rest of the system. Our time on task, though, did increase um, a little bit from November and um, through December and in January. Uh, and I think some of that is um, in regards to the APOT, um, the ambulance patient offload times. Those are the times that um, it takes from when we arrive at the hospital until we are able to transfer that patient off of our gurney. And those times did increase um, from December and, uh, and January from November. 
Um, the goal is within a 90% um, of the time, 20 minute transfer time. Um, what we had in November was about 34, um, 35 minutes. So that's still beyond the um, desired 20 minute time. But in December it rose to 40 minutes and then in January from 46 minutes. So that really does increase the amount of time that our ambulances are at the hospitals and are unavailable to run the next 911 call. So something that is continually um, being looked at has is, is certainly been a national issue, uh, a state issue, and a local um, issue as well. We actually are not quite as impacted um, compared to some of the places down in Southern California, um, but it's still significant and it still impacts um, our ability to get units on the streets. So it is a study that's being done um, by our LEMSA, also by um, a committee that they have with the hospitals, and we'll continue to kind of um, keep you updated on what those um, changes look like. In terms of activities for the EMS division, uh, as Chief Luttrup mentioned, on January 8th, we started our 11th uh, Level 2 Paramedic Academy. That's an eight-week eight academy. We have five recruits. So far, all of them are in their evaluation phase, and so we expect all of them to graduate on March the 1st. Um, also there you'll see um, in that middle picture, uh, during the month of January, we also had several of our EMS division and CP division members participate in the Digital Storytelling Academy. Uh, this was a three-week academy that um, we put on that pretty much that, that gave um, our members and the suppression members an opportunity to really learn how to utilize uh, digital um, devices, digital um, ways of being able to prevent, pre present a story, to use photography and videography uh, to um, be able to tell a story that is compelling, that's engaging, um, and um, is a, a tool that we'll be able to use um, for our own purposes um, to just really sell what is going on with the department to really showcase, showcase um, what it is that we do. Uh, we also have, uh, so we had a rescue captain that's um, Captain Kuzma, um, who took that picture, he's also an experienced uh, photographer, so I'm not surprised that it's just such a um, dynamic photo. Um, but then we also have tapped some of our members to be able to start working on EMS Week and being able to present a, uh, a, a compelling story about the work of our um, EMS and CP divisions. And then on January 22nd, um, our community uh, member here, Mary Ishizaka, uh, Ishizaki, uh, presented two donation checks. Uh, she um, was here at our last commission meeting uh, to speak about um, the impact of the fire that impacted her home, um, the third alarm that happened in December. Uh, but she graciously, um, through, Chief, uh, through Commissioner Nakajo, um, set up uh, a couple of donations with our Asian firefighters and the Lifeline group. Um, so thank you again, Mary. Uh, we had, in January, our EMT Carlos Martinez. He led another medical mission to El Salvador uh, with his organization, organization, the Castaneda Kids Foundation. Uh, they brought 75 volunteers from the U.S., and that included 12 of our uh, SFFD members, 11 members from Station 49, and one from Suppression. They also brought doctors and nurses and pharmacists and dentists, and over those five days, they had 2,900 uh, patients. I wanted to just read a story that he uh, recounted to us um, just to share a little bit of uh, one of the challenges that they had. 
One challenge that we did not expect on day one before the, civics even, the clinic even started was an 18-wheeler that had crashed in the city-only roadway about four blocks from our clinic site. Not only that, but it had crashed into a telephone pole and gotten tangled with live wires, making it impossible for our tour bus to drive through. Luckily, our two buses were smaller and were able to drive through a sugarcane field to get to the clinic. Once they unloaded all of the personnel and equipment, they returned to get the rest of us and the rest of the equipment. This is where the SFFD members stepped up. They had volunteered to stay behind until all the members were picked up. They unloaded and reloaded all of the equipment, snacks, ice chests, and water for the patients between the buses. They were also careful to direct other civilians into safe zones away from the wires. I was very proud to see them all work together to accomplish this. So, you know, it was just really a challenging environment for all of them to um, work in, and uh, so we're really grateful for that. During the clinics, our members took vital signs, worked in the pharmacies, handing out glasses and canes, distributed medications, and explained how to, make, uh, make, uh, how to use them and take them in Spanish, um, so under the direction of the pharmacists. Four of our members were um, interpreters as well. So, of course, the department is very proud of the community and international spirit of our members. Under the Community Paramedic Division, um, ADC Simon Pang. These are our highlights. Uh, the Multoma County Commissioner uh, from what state? Oregon. Oregon. From Oregon. Um, met Por Portland. Portland? Portland. Okay, Portland, Oregon, uh, met with uh, Section Chief of Operations April Sloan, uh, and she was given a vehicle tour and a program overview by our community paramedic, Carla Beyer. Um, after the visit, uh, they expressed interest, interest in having a multi-agency delegation of Portland City of, uh, staff visit San Francisco to further observe our community paramedicine programs. Uh, Chief Sloan also attended the SFPD lineups to communicate updated SCRT special call guidelines and were recently issued uh, to the officers. She helped clarify the types of calls that we are going to be dispatched to or that we are dispatched to, changes to what we can and cannot do, including being able to respond inside and to residences, responding to juveniles, and our ability to place 5150s, um, but also re uh, reminding them that they also still have a role in that too. Uh, she shared our call volume data and also how our, um, our low, lower incidence of um, requesting PD to um, back us up. So with the community paramedicine units out there, they're able to handle situations that the police haven't been able to do um, with their staffing issues and um, are also not able to, or also not having to contact uh, the um, police to help to assist. And then on January 10th, uh, she was also invited to speak to UCSF uh, Psychiatry Fellows. Uh, she shared with them an overview of what community paramedicine does, um, our street crisis teams, and some of the issues that we're seeing out on the streets regarding mental illness and substance use disorders. On January 19th, in collaboration with San Jose State University, uh, we hosted the 2024 EMS Data Equity Conference. Uh, this was an event that focused on leveraging data to, uh, to enhance equity in pre-hospital care. Uh, this conference was held on the um, San Jose State University campus, attracted over 20 different EMS agencies and more than 40 organizations. Uh, it centered around the theme, how do we use data to understand, monitor, and improve equity? 
Uh, this conference provided a platform for EMS professionals, service providers, as well as the community and industry experts to explore the role of data and how we can shape more equitable EMS practices. It was a really educational, interesting uh, event, and so thank you to uh, the CP division and especially to Chief Michael Mason uh, for pursuing this idea, getting this funded through uh, the CareStar Foundation. Um, his work with the San Jose State University professors also helped bring this whole thing to fruition. Um, it was a big endeavor, and we were very proud to be a part of it. As a result of the connections that we made, many of the attendees um, will continue to collaborate and work together um, towards trying to move towards a more equitable um, EMS system. And so we'll be doing that with um, sh shared data, being able to um, connect with each other and discuss what's been going on um, and how we're being able to move towards that. And then here again, you see the CP programs, and we continue to do uh, great work. Um, and this, is da this data reflects some of that. Uh, Chief Pang and his team continue to look at ways though, to improve how we provide those services. One of the ways is pursuing opportunities um, to help us better analyze the programs that we have. Um, we've been chosen to participate in two civic bridge analysis. One is for EMS-6 and the other is for improving substance use disorder services. Uh, these are 16-week programs hosted by the uh, Mayor's Office of Innovation. And city departments are uh, paired with private sector companies um, to be able to solve a problem. Uh, the focus for the civic bridge analysis for EMS-6 is twofold. How do we determine which individuals to engage by our members to get the greatest impact and equity? And how can we more accurately measure the benefits of the program? And the Civic Bridge Program for uh, Substance Use Disorder is a collaboration with the Department of Public Health. And they'll focus on mapping the journey of someone with substance use disorder as they engage our city services. Um, and then the goal is to improve that system coordination and to reduce the barriers and provide uh, rapid access to those services. Uh, we have not yet been paired with a company for that, but with the EMS-6 um, program, we are going to be working with Adobe. And that's my report. Thank you, Chief Tong. Uh, at this time, uh, Madam Secretary, is there any public comment? There is nobody approaching the podium and nobody on the public comment line. Okay, thank you, Madam Secretary. Uh, fellow commissioners, uh, any questions or comments? Go ahead, Commissioner Frazier. Thank you. Thank you, Chief Tong. It's a very interesting report and very comprehensive, so thank you for that. I had a couple of questions. Um, the first one being on page 11 of your report under, the, the, uh, under EMS-6 encounter type. There's a, a, a list of, I guess, encounter types and then a number, and one of the encounter types is conservator show of support zero. And I'm wondering if you could explain that, please. Uh, the show of support is when we are asked to respond to um, a place to um, assist with um, getting somebody conserved, whether it's to provide the um, long-acting medications. Um, and in this particular month, we did not have any of those requests. Okay, I see. And uh, second question, the APOT time, that's the handoff time at, the, at a yes. hospital, correct? So um, it, it's risen quite a bit of late, and it's, I know it's a big problem all over, and I'm wondering, the places where we are generally taking folks are St. Francis, San Francisco General? Mm -hmm. UC. And UC, okay. Cal, um, Cal Pac Venice. Oh, California uh, Venice. Really, okay, mm -hmm. Cal Pac. 
And, and that's even for psychiatric emergencies? Uh, yes, they, they can all receive them. Okay. Are, are we concerned at all, or am I getting way ahead of myself, about the ability uh, with the new purchase of uh, St. Francis and St. Mary's by UCSF that are places that we've used a lot, I know, historically, um, con any concerns that those won't be <clears throat> as available or they will be as available or maybe more available? I don't know that it's going to impact their availability. They should still be, I and mean, they're still going to be operating fully licensed ERs um, okay. and should be just as available as they have. Okay, thank you. Um, okay, that was my other question. Maybe that's, oh, I, the last question, sorry. On page uh, 13 about the police presence on scene. Um, that, that's really interesting. So uh, it looks like, you know, the police department is requesting quite a bit of help. Uh, I'm not saying this in any kind of critical way, but that it's needed by the police department a good bit of time compared to other incidents um, that they're there already or that skirt is is requesting them and i know you've reported on this before but i'm just wondering if you've noticed any difference in that number any increase or decrease over over time um, i believe it has increased over the last couple months and i'm not sure if it's due to some of the changes that we've made in terms of our response um, but uh, we're still analyzing to see, you know, if, is there anything that we can point to that has increased um, some of those numbers in the last few months? I know, well, I've read that, you know, police staffing is an issue in our city and, and many other cities. It's, we're not unique. So I'm sure that there's, you know, a lot of backup that we can provide that's completely necessary, medical backup, mm -hmm. psychiatric backup. But uh, I, I just noticed the, the, the stark difference in the, in the numbers. And yeah. Uh, I know that's something that you guys are on top of and looking at all the time. So, um, um, and then the last thing was the the time, the APOT time. Do and people are looking at that. I know all over the place. But would you say that most of the time that is required is because there are no staff or no nurses on the other end? Is that correct? Is it's a bed availability, so oh, whether bed. it's from a staffing issue or uh, I know one of the things that gets identified often is a boarding issue. So even though there may um, be the capacity in the emergency room in some ways to be able to handle more patients, they are holding on to patients because they can't move them to another place in the hospital or not, are not able to discharge them in the appropriate way. So they're you know, kind of boarding patients um, okay. in the emergency room, so they yeah. just don't have that availability to move that patient from one place to another to then free up that bed. Yeah, that is the term, boarding, when there's no mm -hmm. room upstairs, but there may be uh, rooms in the emergency department, correct? Right. So patients come through the emergency department, and then in order for them to get more care or to get um, d discharged to an another um, place, then they need to be able to um, have a place for them to go. And if they don't have that place, then they just basically are there until something is available. So it, it takes up a, a necessary emergency bed right. um, because there isn't somewhere else Reporting. for them to be placed. Right. Thank you so much for your report and for answering all my questions. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you, Chief Tong. Um, is there any other questions? Uh, uh, Commissioner Feinstein. Thank you, President. Morgan, uh, Chief, it just uh, uh, 
Vice President Frazier's uh, questions it just brought this to mind, and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering what we do about this or if there is a solution to it. Is there any way for an ambulance that's transporting a patient to an ER to know ahead of time that the ER is boarding people or you know, doesn't have room? You know, I, you know I, I, I know that there are times when general has gone on diversion mm -hmm. for uh, you know, UC has gone, Parnassus has gone on diversion. And I'm just wondering if there isn't a communications fix to, to this, because it, it, you're, I mean, it, your point is very well taken mm -hmm. about it not being a good use of our um, EMT and paramedics time. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And there's been some efforts to create some systems within sort of the whole um, monitoring of patient availability beds. Um, we have an EMS alert that after a certain um, number of ambulances arrive, how many get discharged, how many have been, uh, you know, hanging around for a certain period of time, that that can, uh, that's a um, notice to the crews that you should um, not go to that hospital. You should avoid it when it's on an EMS alert and then look at something else that's open. But after so many hospitals are on EMS alert or on diversion, then, you know, you're kind of stuck with, you know, five, five hospitals are not available. So then you're bringing all the rest of those patients to the remaining five. Um, I know Chief Tangerlini has been working on an um, application, a technological application that is a way to better um, divvy up um, and to be able to um, show what the bed availability is in real time so that the crews can look at, um, at that and be able to see, okay, this hospital is already impacted, um, but these other hospitals do have available um, beds, and if it fits within the patient's um, request and their insurance, then we can take them there. Um, and it would be much more real time. This um, EMS alert is real time, but it's um, based on some metrics that don't quite um, accurately reflect um, sort of the capacity. Um, so we've been working on that. Um, it's a long process, um, but um, I, I do think that there are technological ways that we can um, better manage that. Um, and then ultimately, though, um, some of this is, is just really about the hospitals being able to get the appropriate staffing, the right you know, um, ratios, and um, be able to have um, that capacity to move patients um, where they need to go um, to be able to accommodate those that need to come in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Commissioner uh, Feinstein. Are there any further questions from the commission? Commissioner Nicasio. Thank you, President Morgan. Chief, thank you very much for your report. I just wanted to thank and acknowledge uh, DMT Carlos Martinez and the 12 members who responded to the Casanada Kids Foundation. I just think that's outstanding, so I wanted to acknowledge that. I also wanted to uh, make sure that um, there's a general appreciation coming from myself and I know my colleagues to the members of paramedicine and the EMS division that's working every day. Thank you so much for that. And lastly, I want to thank my dear friend, Associate Mary Shizaki, for coming and donating to both Lifeline and to uh, Asian firefighters for their toy program. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Commissioner Nicasio. And I'll just piggyback on what you said. Uh, thank you for your report, Chief Tong. 
And, I, you know, I just want to officially commend uh, uh, Carlos uh, Martinez for his work abroad and doing organizing, doing that great work, um, and all the other volunteers involved in it. I just want to say that officially. And I want to piggyback off of what Commissioner uh, Nicaggio said and thank Mary Ishizaki. <laughs> thank you for your generosity and your support to the fire department. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much. And thanks for coming. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, and the whole Japantown, all the support we get from Japantown, and I know uh, Commissioner uh, uh, Nicaggio has something to do with that. Facilitating <laughs> 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 that and organizing that. And thank you to uh, Commissioner uh, Nicaggio for all your great work that you do for the community and the fire department of San Francisco. Um, so basically, um, yeah, that's, that's all I got. And, and I, and I also want to commend, uh, Carla Bayer and chief Sloan for, uh, uh, putting, uh, Oregon, uh, Oregon, uh, yeah, Portland, Oregon, uh, you know, educating them on the latest, you know, Techniques and, uh, and and rescue theories and and what have you and putting them up on some game, you know, you know we we get it first in the city and then we ha and then it spreads out, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? <laughs> they always steal from the bay, you know. <laughs> 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 and uh, so we have to lead the way. So I thank uh, those uh, paramedics for that and the chief for that too. So, and that's all I got. Uh, thank you for your report, Chief Tong. Item five, overview of the city's budget instructions and process for fiscal years 2024-2025 and 2025-2026. Discussion and possible action. Presentation from Mark Corso, Deputy Director of Finance and Planning on the Fire Department's operating budget for commission review and discussion discussion and possible action to adopt the fire department's operating budget for fiscal years 2024, 2025, 2025, 2026. Okay. <clears throat> Good morning, commissioners, uh, chief, Mark Corso, finance and planning to give uh, update on our budget process so far and overall, uh, and I guess requesting overall approval of a strategy uh, for our budget submittal, which I will go over shortly. Um, we'll speak to it in a minute, but we're still working on uh, some of the details of the budget. Uh, the information that's included in your packet was current as of uh, last week, obviously for uh, public posting and those kinds of things, but we are working and we'll continue to work um, through our deadline. There'll be minor changes, uh, which I'll highlight uh, working with uh, other departments on work orders, uh, revisions of staffing levels, things like that. But I do want to stress that there will be no material or policy changes that are not presented before you and discussed uh, today. Uh, so if there's any questions on that, um, please feel free to follow up with that. Just a brief uh, review of the overall process timeline. Um, we've highlighted this in the past few meetings, but uh, we have uh, currently the department next week is looking at not just our department, but all city departments uh, submittal of departmental proposed budgets to the mayor's office by February 21st. Uh, after that time, uh, we'll be working very closely along with all other city departments with the mayor's office in advance of the 
required June 1st submittal of a balanced budget by the mayor's office to the Board of Supervisors. Uh, after that time, uh, there'll be budget hearings during June. Uh, we'll obviously uh, be working with the mayor's office, but also with the uh, various members of the board and with the budget and legislative analyst um, during those hearings. And those should wrap up by the end of June and into July where uh, anticipated formal approval of the, of the budget will occur. Uh, included in this is the timeline for commission approval. Uh, so today we are requesting approval of our, uh, I guess our overall strategy and proposal to, the to be submitted to the mayor's office. If there are any other outstanding um, issues that don't get resolved today, uh, we can, uh, it's up to the commission's uh, request to have a special meeting up until uh, our submittal next week. Uh, but please know that we will, even though we are submitting next week, we will be in constant contact with the mayor's office and we will obviously report back to the commission uh, any pertinent updates uh, or material changes uh, as they come up. Um, so just a brief review of budget instructions and the overall city budget outlook. We've touched on this the past few meetings as well, but um, just reiterating it and we'll kind of get into what that looks like uh, both fiscally and operationally for us. Um, over the next couple years, uh, the uh, mayor, board, and controller's office are projecting approximately an $800 million deficit, uh, which is the two-year budget process that we're talking about here. Uh, as a result of that deficit, um, city departments were requested to make a 10% reduction of ongoing general fund savings uh, to be submitted to the mayor's office with an additional 5% contingency requested as well. Um, for, for fire, that 10% equates to 12.4 million approximately and that 5% would be 6.2. So if you're looking at that total 15%, uh, that's about $18.6 million. And we've touched on this at the last few meetings as well, but we just have very limited budgetary flexibility overall. Um, our budget is predominantly for personnel costs and those personnel costs support frontline uh, emergency staffing to meet either minimum staffing requirements or response time mandates. Uh, and that is for fire suppression, EMS and community paramedicine. Uh, in addition, the other non-personnel costs in our budget directly support those functions, uh, whether it's equipment, medical supplies, fuel, utilities, et cetera. So, we have very limited uh, areas for reduction in our budget. And on top of those ongoing you know, daily operating costs, we have a huge infrastructure need in the department. Uh, we have deferred maintenance on facilities, outdated equipment, outdated fleet. So we are trying to grapple with those challenges as well, not, not just budgetarily, but on a daily basis. So as part of our proposal, and because of the reasons that I had just previously cited, uh, the department is not proposing meeting that 10 to 15% mandate. Uh, we feel that cuts of that size will have a material impact on emergency operations. And just to kind of throw a comparison in there, what those dollars actually look like, uh, if we're talking about that 10% reduction, that 12.4 million, that would be the equivalent of closing four engine companies for the entire year, or three truck companies for the entire year. It would also uh, be the equivalent of reducing 12 daily, 12-hour ambulances out of the emergency 911 system. Or it would also equate to just eliminating all materials and supplies, facility uh, funding, and equipment in the department's budget. And that's just that 10%. So if you include that additional 5%, you know, that goes up to six engine, et cetera. So that is a huge operational impact for the department. 
So what is actually included in our budget currently? So we have incorporated, uh, with the help of the controller's office, there's any known changes from uh, employee MOUs, as we've uh, kind of highlighted in some of the previous meetings. Other than police and fire, all the other MOUs are currently up for negotiation in the city process. Uh, and we have a very small civilian staff, so those impacts will be added to our budget later. But do not materially drive our budget. Our main budget driver is the personnel costs. And so all uh, any modifications from the MOU, any new initiatives, there's a few new premiums, uh, a few other changes that are incorporated. Those are what we were working with the mayor and the controller's office to include in our budget proposal. Uh, our budget proposal before you also includes uh, <clears throat> consistent operational staffing levels from what we have now. So we're not adding, we're not subtracting uh, anything along those lines. We are maintaining the status quo there. Uh, we're also proposing to maintain our hiring process. Uh, we've made a significant uh, improvement over the past few years on um, building back those staffing levels that we had that we lost that we were not able to replace during the pandemic. Um, but we're still not to where we want to be. And even though we are netting uh, two academies a year, we are still losing people through retirements and separations. And so we are looking at planning going forward over the next couple of years. At this time, we uh, would like to maintain those hiring schedule. What, for that, what that schedule is, is two H2 academies each of the fiscal year. So over the two years, that'd be four academies. And then uh, sufficient backfilling academies on the EMS and community paramedicine side to maintain those staffing levels that we have been approved for. Um, in addition to that, there are a couple of staffing changes on the fire prevention side. And um, Chief Lottrup uh, spoke to some of the legislative changes that have come about in fire prevention, according to the fire code, uh, both on the state level and locally. And there are a few initiatives specifically related to uh, approval times for uh, plan review that are required now, and also some fire alarm and sprinkler certification uh, legislation that we feel we would require additional resources to support. Uh, those resources we are proposing are backed by additional fee revenue coming from those. Uh, so we feel that those uh, can kind of support themselves. But in order to properly implement those pieces of legislation, uh, we feel that we need additional resources. So also included in our budget, uh, we have a couple of, there's a couple of staffing areas coming out of the COVID pandemic that we were uh, funded through, uh, you know, our, our kind of collaborative efforts amongst the city through DEM, through the mayor's office uh, for some initiatives that are, uh, have been ongoing coming out of the pandemic. Um, so we would propose that those continue to be funded. Uh, in addition, one of the largest changes to the good uh, in our budget is some uh, assumptions of additional revenue on the ambulance um, side. There have been, over the past couple of years, there's been some legislative changes at the state level that have allowed us to draw on some additional federal uh, revenues to support supplemental reimbursement, specifically pertaining to uh, kind of Medi-Cal calls that we uh, see, and so that's about a third of our uh, insurance clientele. Uh, so that has made significant uh, positive impacts to our revenues over the past few years. Uh, some of them in the current year have been one time, but there is a structurally some ongoing revenues that we are projecting. We're projecting approximately a $4.7 million increase uh, to those revenues uh, on an annual basis to be ongoing. So that's a, a big part of our uh, proposal that we'll talk to in a second. Uh, in addition, we've included uh, CPI increases for fee levels. Uh, those are included into the fee legislation uh, on the EMS side. That comes to about 1.9% for medical CPI. And then for fire prevention fees, uh, it's about almost 4% uh, uh, for CPI there. 
And then in addition, there's a few minor uh, classification reassignments, either that have occurred during the fiscal year or that we are proposing, uh, mainly on the civilian side, as we adjust the scope of work, or we adjust the position classification to the uh, proper scope of work. Uh, some of those have been approved in the recent hirings that we've had, so we're just formalizing those through the budget. So as an overall status as to where we are, um, as I mentioned, we will, we are working, we have been working and we will continue to work up until and through the February 21st deadline. Uh, a lot of it is technical in nature right now, but we will be looking and discussing some of the bigger policy calls as the, with the mayor's office over the next few months as they kind of grapple with the overall uh, deficit. Uh, kind of as, as we talked about before, some of those uh, if, even if all those budget reduction requests of all departments are met, there's still significant structural issues in the city that are, go beyond departments that need to be addressed. So once they get a better idea of how those are going to be managed, uh, we'll get a better idea of how our budget will look, but we will be continuing to discuss with them. Uh, we are continuing to work with our other city partners on uh, various work orders and budgeting for that, some of that during this phase right now and some of that during the mayor's phase of the budget process. Uh, we're continuing to review staffing model assumptions uh, for overtime, for hiring, for uh, retirements, and trying to uh, firm up that model as we move forward. Uh, we've had and continue to have internal discussions about priorities and needs for the department. Uh, so even though you know, the city's looking at a substantial deficit, that doesn't mean that we have no needs for the department, uh, and we haven't. And as I mentioned, infrastructure, that's a huge priority for us, both on the facility side and on the equipment side. Uh, and as costs increase and those costs get delayed, um, they only become more and more expensive and more difficult to attack. So uh, those conversations will continue with the mayor's office. Um, capital and equipment fleet, those are uh, kind of vetted through different processes, either at the mayor's office or through capital planning committee. So those meetings will be occurring over the next few months uh, in advance of the mayor's budget. And then again, I do, do want to stress there's been, there'll be no policy major operational changes or policy changes uh, different from what is before you before we submit our budget there. There may be some that come about as discussions with the mayor's office later on down the line, but that's after we have submitted our budget. So what, what are we submitting to you for approval as the commission? Um, so with the, with the reductions, the size and scope that they are, um, we feel that we are unable to meet them uh, just given their impacts on frontline operations. Uh, we'll continue to work with the mayor's office over the next couple months um, on any other issues that pop up as well as uh, continue to emphasize our needs and priorities and the reality of our operational staffing situation. Um, we want to ensure that we are properly uh, resource for all the different functions that we have taken on, both just you know standard, but there's a lot of new things that have come across over the past few years that we have taken on as a department. Um, they all meet our mission. We wanna make sure we are properly resourced for them in order for us to be successful. Uh, and then we'll, as always we do, not just related to this budget time, but in general, we're always looking at uh, different ways to uh, find external funding sources and whether that's through grants, through donations, et cetera, that work will continue uh, for the department. And with that, I'd like to open to any questions. Uh, thank you for your report, Mr. Curso. At this time, before we uh, take any questions, uh, Madam Secretary, is there any public comment? There is nobody approaching the podium and nobody on the public comment line. All right, thank you, Madam Secretary. Uh, fellow commissioners, are there any questions or comments? Yeah. Uh, Commissioner Nicasio. Thank you very much, uh, Director Corso. 
for your presentation. Uh, Director Tor Tor Corso, is this an action item this morning? Yes, this would be to approve our strategy for submittal. And what would the verbiage be in terms of that action item that we would? That would be to approve the department's, um, yeah, uh, fiscal year 24, 25, and 25, 26 uh, operating budget submittal as presented to the fire commission. Okay, and this submittal date needs to occur by February the 21st? So that is when all, we are essentially locked out of the budget system from a technical perspective, but that's when all of our budget initiatives and our proposals are due to the mayor's office. So if we do this action item today, you do not see any anticipation of a special meeting that's gonna be required before that February 21st due date? Not from the department's perspective, if there's something from the commission that they like that would, cause not get uh, sufficiently answered or responded to today, then that's at the commission's discretion, but I don't think there would be a need from uh, my perspective, department's perspective. Okay. Thank you very much, uh, Director Corso and the command staff for all of this hard work and this analysis in terms of summary. Again, it's a dire straight situation for our department. Um, I, as a commissioner, cannot put into jeopardy our operation or our needs since it took us these many years to build to a structure of service. And um, I just wanted to comment on that. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank I'll you. wait to vote. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Nicaragio. Uh, any other questions? Uh, Commissioner Collins? So when we, if we give you approval of the budget, we are tacitly approving the approach that you've presented? Correct. There will be some modification of some of these numbers just from a technical perspective, um, but there'll be no policy changes, no operational changes, nothing that would not have come before you. Okay, thank you. Commissioner Frazier. Thank you, Director Corso. <clears throat> um, my question is about the our requirement to propose ongoing reductions um, in our general fund yes. allocation. So it says on your presentation it's 10% in each year. Yes. An additional 5% contingency. That's a lot. That is a lot of money. Um, so, and I'm assuming this is true for all departments. Is this true for all departments? Correct. So health, fire, whatever they all are, all 10%. Yes. So our approval would include, yeah, we're good with 10% reduction, no problem. Is that right? We are not, no, we are no. not proposing to meet that. Mm -mm. Oh, we're not proposing, okay, good, thank you. No. If I may, uh, typically what, what uh, Director Corso does is he shows the mayor's budget office what that 10% would look like. And it would look like a cut in frontline services, a cut in our um, equipment, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And, and basically explain to them why we cannot meet that cut. It is absolutely untenable for the San Francisco Fire Department to meet that cut. And they understand that we have very little wiggle room because we are almost 90% uh, salary and benefit, um, but uh, we still, um, you know, so we have that argument, but we also, um, we also have such a huge need 
in terms of our rigs, in terms of our infrastructure, and that is of enormous concern to, to us, to me. Um, you know, we need to be able to do our jobs. And so those are also conversations we are having. Yes, thank you, Chief. I could not imagine the 1% bump in fees and the little 4% bump in the other fees are going to make up much of this. So thank you very much. Thanks, Chief. Thank you, Commissioner Fraser. Any further questions from any commissioner? Uh, is there a motion to adopt uh, this budget? I move approval. Okay. I second. Yes, Biden. I vote aye. Thank Vice you. President Frazier, aye. Uh, Commissioner Nicajo? I vote aye. And Commissioner Feinstein? Aye. The motion is unanimous. Thank you. Okay. Great. Thank Thanks you. for your report, uh, uh, Director Corso. Uh, at this time, I'd like to adjourn if there's any other uh, business we need to handle. Huh? In the memory, oh, yes. of, in the right. memory of yeah, Edward so Phipps? Yes, so we would uh, like to adjourn the meeting. Uh, and, and, but first, we'll have a moment of silence for Chief Pips. Um, I will now adjourn the meeting. <laughs>